Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome to the Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. And this podcast exists to help every couple thrive in marriage, and you can thrive in marriage, you just need the right information. And this program today is about God's indestructible plan for marriage. In other words, when you're married God's way, your marriage can last for a lifetime and you can experience the the intimacy and the passion that you want to, you just need the right information. So this program is on God's indestructible plan for marriage, but we're gonna begin, Karen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. And we're gonna begin with a couple of questions before we go to the teaching. And this one is to you uh, from one of our uh, listeners. My wife is constantly angry with me, no matter what I do or say. Most of her anger is due to me not alienating my children, family, and friends. In her mind, she should be the only person in my life. We are coming to the conclusion that we'll never get along because I won't bow to control and dominance. I truly don't want a divorce but I'm tired and drained. What can I do? Or is it just time to call it quits? Yeah, that's that's a really hard situation. And um, I'm thinking about the teaching that you're doing with this, you know, subject. And, you know, you you say that our greatest need as a woman is, is security. And, you know, it sounds maybe like there could be a possibility that her, you know, she's feeling insecure. He's taking a lot of, putting a lot of his attention on other people and not, she doesn't feel like she's number one. And but yet, same time, anger is destructive, you know, and to have anger issues tells you that. And, you know, most of us always come into our marriages with some kind of baggage. And so we all dealt with something, whether it's anger or just whatever happened in our past. And so if it's that strong, it tells me probably she needs to probably get help as far as being able to control her anger because anger does not bring righteousness. You know, it's the opposite effect. And so the more anger you get, the more the whole marriage is volatile. And so, you know, I'd highly recommend maybe that um, she could, you know, see a counselor by herself and just kind of get to the root maybe of their, their issues of her having so much anger. I know for me personally, I'm not an explosive dominant person, but I had anger issues and I would ask the Lord, why do I get so angry? And it's because you're hurt. Your feelings are hurt. And, you know, so sometimes we don't know how to express our feelings. And and fear, Mm -hmm. too. Well, it sounds to me like this is a blended family because he said most of her anger is due to me not alienating my children, Mm -hmm. not our children. And so they may be blended and uh, she feels like she's coming second fiddle. Mm -hmm. You know, the the kids are more important than she is or somebody else more important. So she's acting out. And the more she acts out, the more it alienates him. So they need to get help. Yeah. And that's that's the bottom line. Get help. You know, go go to someone that you trust. Go to a Christian counselor or pastor or someone and, and try to get help there. But when he says, is it time to just call it quits? I, no. No. I, absolutely not. No, you and, could, you could, this marriage can work. And we have, uh, you know, our counselors here at uh, XO Marriage, and they do mediation all the time with couples a day to three days, whatever it takes to get to the root issues here. So you can contact us here at XO. It's on our website, XO Marriage, 
and you'll see our mediators there. And those are the people, you can do it by telephone, you can do it by Zoom, or you can do it in person. But you can get some really good help uh, in your marriage because it's it's never one person's fault. It's It, it always goes both ways. And, uh, and one person may be more wrong than the other, but you still have both have parts to play in that. Okay, I think you have a question for me. Uh, do you have advice for overcoming infidelity? My husband and I have been married for 28 years, and about a year ago, I discovered that he had multiple affairs of different types over the years. We love each other and decided our marriage is worth saving and have been trying to overcome this and move forward. Well, trust is destroyed yeah. uh, when you find out that your spouse has had multiple affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially being married that long. Yeah, it, it's just such a trust issue. Um, the you know the, there's the old saying that trust is learned is earned in drops and lost in buckets. Mm-hmm. And infidelity, you lose all mm-hmm. uh, complete trust. When there's multiple affairs, you lose all. So I would say a couple of things. The first is what what is the root of this issue? Uh, let me give you an example. I'm talking about now the the wife here was cheated on. Um, and she's not at fault. Okay. But there might be a dynamic in the relationship that adds to this, you know, for example, if he's not sexually satisfied, it, it might, yes, for, for years, where that, that might be an issue. It's not her fault, but, but she plays a part in that. Um, but the other thing is you have to rebuild trust. Mm-hmm. There has to, and that, and that requires honesty mm-hmm. and consistency. Mm-hmm. When a person's cheated on you, they have to be completely honest. And then they have to be consistent in their behavior. And there, there needs to be some level of accountability there. Mm-hmm. So I would just say you need to go to a counselor. There needs to be, if you haven't already, um, it, it's interesting because do you have any advice for overcoming infidelity? And we love each other, decided our marriage is worth saving, and been trying to overcome this and move forward. And I would say don't do it on your own. Uh, get help. Uh, get accountability. Uh, but the most important thing is the reestablishment of trust. And when someone's had multiple affairs like that, that's that's a real challenge, mm-hmm. and it, the 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 burden is on this husband. Yeah. Okay. The wife, you, you can't be his policeman. You can't follow him around all the time. Uh, the the burden is on him to be genuine and to be honest and to be accountable, because if this happens again, it's going to destroy the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. it is teetering right now. But if, but if you love each other and you're committed, that's great. And so that's beautiful. We're going to go now to this teaching on the indestructible, God's indestructible plan for marriage. God has a perfect plan for marriage in the Bible, and that's what I'm talking about. Hope you enjoy this teaching. God's indestructible plan for marriage is the title of this message. And I want to talk to you about uh, the most revelatory text on earth concerning marriage, which is Ephesians 5 and what the Bible tells us about God's perfect plan for marriage, which is indestructible. When you do, God's, when you do marriage God's way, you're gonna succeed, you're gonna thrive the way that you should. God's indestructible plan for marriage, we're gonna read Ephesians chapter five. This is the most revelatory text on earth concerning marriage. This is the place in the Bible where God just takes the curtains and parts them back and shows us the, the way that he designed marriage and the way that it functions. So Ephesians 5, we're gonna begin with an incomplete sentence in verse 21, but it's a very important incomplete sentence. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the ch- church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, uh, loves his wife, loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this is, this is the most revelatory text uh, in the world concerning marriage, and um, I've used it for 37 years in marriage counseling and I've never had one person enjoy it. I've never had one person agree with it in marriage counseling. Christians, in my opinion, the only scripture text that we hate more is in Malachi where it talks about tithing. <laughs> Ephesians 5. So you read Ephesians 5 to someone, there's pushback immediately. But here's the interesting thing about what I have found about people's response uh, number one, when I'm in marriage counseling or, or wherever and I'm reading Ephesians 5, two common responses, people like what it says about their spouse, they just don't like what it says about them. Isn't that interesting? See, every man dreams of having a submitted wife. And if a man hasn't, if a man hasn't memorized any other scripture, he knows that one. When Karen and I first got married, I didn't know any of the Bible, but I kept saying, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me, woman. It was a near-death experience. I saw the bright light, the tunnel, <laughs> the whole thing. And um, the other, the other response, and women love the thought of having a husband who's sacrificial and lays his life down for her. The other response people have is we fear being the first one to do it of the husband and wife. We fear being first and we use our spouse's behavior as an excuse not to do it. Women say, well, I would submit to my husband as to the Lord if he acted anything remotely like Jesus. But if I submitted him like that, it would just encourage him and I'm here to keep him humble. Men say, if I ever lay my life down for her, I'll be doing housework all night while she's sipping herbal tea in the bathtub. I can't show any weakness to that sister. So in all the years that I've been doing marriage counseling, that's what you get. It's just a constant pushback. I wanna say, there is no plan B. And let me say, does anything else work? Could you look at any other pattern for marriage and say, it doesn't. We, we, marriage is awful in our non-biblical society. It just doesn't work. And by the way, marriage was not created by a lawyer or a legislature or a lonely Neanderthal. It was created by Almighty God, our God. And there's only one person who can tell us how it works. God is the only one who can tell us how marriage truly works. It's only going to succeed if we do it God's way. So I wanna to talk to you about the brilliance of the roles of marriage in Ephesians chapter five, talk several things about the roles in Ephesians five that, that prove that they're right for all of us and they work. Number one, the roles in Ephesians five make us attractive to our spouse and cause them to open our, their hearts to us. This, this is, when God, when God gives you the role that he gives you in Ephesians five, it's not a ball and chain. It's the key to your spouse's heart. And you absolutely cannot relate to a person of the opposite sex any other way than God's way successfully. Let me begin with, with women. 
The number one need of a man is respect. It's, it's our mega need. You, you, can't, you just can't overstate it. And it's hard for women to understand sometimes because it, it can be seen as ego, and it could be ego, but men, we just need respect. It, it's just, that's our world. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter three, Peter says, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, listen, when they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Do not let your ornament be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, Rather, let it be in the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And it begins there, Peter begins there by saying, Ladies, if your husband is not obeying the word, if your husband is doing something wrong, you can change your husband without a word if you'll treat him with purity, in other words, not, not in a sinful manner, and with respect. As he observes your chaste and respectful behavior, God is gonna change him. You say, well, how can that work? I'll tell you how it works. Respect is so important to a man, we will change our behavior for the person giving it to us. So women and men are equals. The reason that we began with an incomplete sentence is that it said submitting to one another in the fear of God. So men are not over women. Women are not over men, we're equals. Karen and I never talk about who the boss of our marriage is because Jesus Christ is the boss of our marriage. And we're equals. So women, you, you, can, say, you can say anything you want to to your husband, you're, you're his equal. But here's the, here's the issue. Once you've said it, who's the enforcer? You or the Holy Spirit? And if you, if you say something to your husband and you say, honey, you know, I wish you'd come home earlier from work. I hope you always spend more time with me or the kids or whatever you're wanting to say, you say it. And if it's the truth, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he enforces it. And you don't damage your marriage. If you try to enforce it, you're gonna damage your marriage. If it's not true, you know, and there's probably not much chance it's not true, ladies. <laughs> but just in that little sliver of a chance that it's not true, you're gonna damage your marriage trying to enforce something that's not true. And here's what I say to women. Be sweet to your husband in person and say what you have to say, then get in your prayer closet and become violent and sick Jesus on that man. <laughs> See? Don't be violent in person and sweet in prayer. Be sweet to your husband, be, be kind to him. You can say anything you wanna say, but then let the Holy Spirit enforce it and that way you haven't damaged your marriage. And by the way, the, when it says that a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God, I've had many women say to me, Jimmy, I, listen, I, that scripture drives me crazy because I've got a strong personality. I'm just not one of those little mousy women. I, I get that, okay? And I, and I know who you are, so I, I understand. Gentle and quiet is not mousy and beaten down. Gentle and quiet is the opposite of rough and loud. The only, the only option of gentle and quiet is rough and loud. And what it's saying there is be respectful and be gentle. And it will cause your husband to be attracted to you and it will cause him to change and it will cause him to open his heart to you. These roles are perfect. And I'm gonna go to the next point here because it's real tense in here right now. <laughs> Very tense up here on the platform. Okay, 
Number one need of a woman is security. Number one mega need of a woman is they wanna be made secure. The number one thing that makes a woman feel secure is a selfless, sacrificial husband. Someone who would lay his life down for her. Number one thing that makes a woman feel insecure is a selfish, detached husband. He's just, he's checked out. And so the Bible tells men, you lay your life down for your wife, you, you know, nourish her, cherish her like you would your own body, so on and so forth. And so interestingly, okay, so, so if a man does that, so what effect does it have? So they, they did, this survey's been done many times, but they do surveys and they ask women, when is your husband most attractive to you? And one of the top responses from women is always when he's doing housework. My husband is most attractive to me when he's doing housework. Okay, that, that's interesting. Yeah. And uh, then they've done studies on the effects of male sweat on women. Uh, University of Pennsylvania, University of California has been replicated several times. And they took women uh, and they put male sweat on their upper lips and they wired them up so they could physiologically register the effects of male sweat on women. Now women get grossed out by this and they say, ooh, I would never put sweat there. They didn't tell them it was sweat, they told them it was a household product. <laughs> and when the women found out it was sweat, some researchers died. <laughs> but we appreciate their sacrifice. But so they wired women up, they put male sweat on their upper lip and here's what they found. Every single time they did this study, uh, this research, when women are under the influence of male sweat, they relax, they get happy, and they get romantic. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So let's review. <laughs> they ask women, when is your husband most attractive to you? When he's doing housework. And then they tested male sweat on women and they found that to be very positive effect on women. So I want to give the interpretation of that to all the men here, okay? You're just a clean house away from the night of your dreams. <laughs> you need to clean the house every now and then, walk by, let her smell you and go do it some more. <laughs> I just helped you out big time, fellas, big time. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? When we do what the Bible says, it works. It's perfect. It's perfect. If, if women will respect their husbands, if men will sacrificially serve their husbands, it's perfect. That's the way that God designed it. That's all it's saying. Okay, let me, let me go to the next one here. The, so the first thing that happens when you do what the Bible says and fulfill your role is you're both attracted to each other and you both feel safe around each other. And so you're able to open your hearts and have the intimacy that you're supposed to have in marriage. Number two thing that the roles do from Ephesians 5. The roles in Ephesians 5 release the potential 
in our spouse, okay? If we could reach our potential without marriage, God wouldn't have created it. Because God created everything he created in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, he said it was very good, except in Genesis 2.18, God said, that man being alone is not good. He needs a helper. He's not going to be able to fulfill the, the call and destiny I have on his life by himself. He needs a wife. And this, this is an interesting little tidbit here. And that is a 48-year-old married, married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65. And I'm 65. A 48-year-old single man has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65. Men are dramatically better off with a woman in their lives. Now, I always pause right there to let a smart man say amen. There you go. You're a little late. That's a point getter right there. That's when you look at your wife and say amen. Because women, are, women are, are good for us. If we could reach our potential on our own, God wouldn't have created marriage. And so let me talk about men for just a minute. The Bible tells men in Ephesians 5, 29 that we're supposed to nourish and cherish our wives. Those are agricultural terms. And nourish means to feed to maturity. It means literally you're, you're watering it, you're feeding it, you're fertilizing it. And then the word cherish means to keep warm. You're protecting what is growing there. You're protecting it. So the, the purpose of, a, man, of a, a husband in a wife's life is to help her reach her full, full potential in God. To nourish, a good husband is a good greenhouse. We create a protected atmosphere of nurture for our wives. And we protect them from anything that would get between them and God's destiny for their lives. Literally, when God created your wife, he created her with a destiny and your job as a husband is to partner with God to make sure that she fulfills her destiny. When Karen and I got married, I was dominant and I was a chauvinist. And uh, it was my way or the highway and I had no concept that I was in Karen's life to bring her to her potential. Honestly, I thought, I thought her potential was just being my wife, honestly. And uh, we had horrible marriage, almost divorced, and then God changed me and I repented. And I began to nourish and cherish Karen and partner with God to bring her to her full potential. And Karen, I mean, she's phenomenal as, as a woman, what she's accomplished in, in every regard. But understand this, the most important gift that God gives a man is a wife. And the number one stewardship that we will be called into account for in heaven one day is what we've done with her. And history proves that men have put women down and used them for their own purposes for millennia. And what God's word calls men to do is not to use women and not to put them down. What God, God's word calls men to do is to nourish her and cherish her. And if God has called her to be a stay-at-home mom, a doctor, a worship leader, a missionary, a, an astrophysicist, whatever she has been called to do to our hurt, to our hurt, we are in her life to make sure she gets to her full potential even if we don't get to ours. Jesus Christ, our husband, the one that we're supposed to be like, he died for us on the cross so that we wouldn't go to hell, that we would be seated with him in heavenly places. That's the, that's the exact example that we are given. So literally, we are in our wife's life to nourish and cherish her. And that women love this. What women hate is being put down. They hate being used. They hate being treated like they're not an equal. And I don't blame them. 
because they're, they're precious and they're supposed to be nourished and cherished by us as their husband. Let me talk about women for just a minute. So m- m- women become in an atmosphere of security when, when they're being nourished and cherished by their husbands. This is how they, they become. Men don't become like that. We don't need security like women need security. Um, we become in an atmosphere of respect. So Ephesians 5.22, when it's summarizing Ephesians 5, it says, let a wife uh, respect her husband. Proverbs 31 is an interesting chapter that talks about an excellent wife. And it says of the excellent wife, her husband is an elder in the gates of the city, but it doesn't attribute it to him, it attributes it to her. Her behavior produced an elder in the gates of the city. And here's what I believe. I believe she treated him like an elder before he became an elder and he became an elder because men arise to the level of respect that they get. We're very motivated by respect. First Peter three that we read just a minute ago, it said Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. Sarah called Abraham Lord. I told Karen, I said, Karen, this is the 21st century. You don't need to be calling me Lord. Just oh great one, something like that. Because I'm, I'm a humble man, I don't need all that, you know. So some women, some women would say, yeah, well, if Abraham were my husband, yeah, I think I could call him Lord too, you know, because he's the father of the faith and he was a billionaire and all that kind of stuff. Well, okay, uh, yeah, that's, that's true, that, that's true. But did you also know on two occasions he lied about Sarah being his sister? Because the Bible says she was beautiful of form and face and two kings on different occasions were approaching Abraham and as they were approaching, he turned to Sarah and said, say you're my sister. Don't say you're my wife, they're gonna kill me. He had a problem with cowardice and lying. And on two occasions, she was taken into another king's home to become his wife. And if God wouldn't have intervened, a lot of people would have gotten killed. She called him Lord. She respected him in spite of the fact that he made mistakes. And so I don't know about uh, women's sports, but I can say in men's sports, um, cheerleaders make a difference. We really like cheerleaders a lot. And the thing that cheerleaders, cheerleaders do a couple of things that, that are very important. And the first is they just celebrate everything. They, they're, just, they're just set on, so they just celebrate it. Everything's great and they just celebrate. We just absolutely love that. The other thing that, that cheerleaders do is uh, they say negative things in really positive ways. That's really important. They, so like the football game's going bad and, and the cheerleaders never get negative. It's, what they do is they go, defense, 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 hold that line, hold that line. Not, you bunch of losers, would you tackle somebody? My grandmother could have caught that guy on her walker. What's wrong with you? They don't do that. That's what we like them. A man will slide down a mountain of razor blades to land in a lake of lemon juice to hear one idiot say, you're the man and we'll go do it again. (laughs) We don't care about security, we just like praise. Okay, number three. Here's why the roles in Ephesians five are so perfect. The roles in Ephesians five disable our sin natures and keep them from destroying our marriages, okay? It is, we have a sin nature, okay? We, all of us in here have a sin nature and our sin nature cannot be successfully married. Our sin nature is full of anger, jealousy, moodiness, selfishness. It's just our sin nature is going to sabotage every relationship that we're ever in. And so if we're gonna have a good marriage, we've got to neutralize our sin nature. You say, well, how do we do that? The roles. The roles in Ephesians 5 neutralize our sin nature. Let me, let me talk about it for just a minute. So 
the roles are different because our sin natures are different. Now, what we have in common related to our sin natures is we rebellion, independence from God. That's men and women, we, all we like sheep have gone astray is what Isaiah says, and that's the truth. We, we have independence and rebellion in common, but our sin natures are different, and that's why the roles in Ephesians 5 are different. So women, uh, let me talk about them for just a minute. Uh, so Adam and Eve ate the fruit, but they ate it differently. They, they had different issues. Okay. So Eve was, by the way, Eve was not present when Adam was commanded not to eat the fruit. So it was up to Adam to communicate that to her. And they only had two scriptures in their Bible. Be fruitful and multiply, don't eat that fruit. Okay, pretty easy Bible, okay. So uh, the devil crawled up in the form of a serpent and started talking to Eve. Now, Adam is standing right here. The reason we know he's standing right there is she ate the fruit and handed it to him. And so he's standing right there. And we know that God... It's time, it's the cool of the day when God walks up. We know that because they ate and God walked up. So they lived with God in the Garden of Eden. And Adam is standing right here. So the devil walks up, crawls up, and begins to tempt Eve. She never talks to Adam and she never talks to God. She sits there and has this conversation with the serpent. And at the end of the conversation, she took the fruit and ate. And all she had to do, all she had to do was to say to the devil, well, now, this is all real interesting, what you're saying to me, because that's, that's not what my husband told me, okay? But let me, let me talk to him, and let me, let's, we're gonna check with God, too, because he's about to show up here, and I'm gonna get back to you. She didn't do that. She ate the fruit without any input. When the Bible says the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, it's not putting a woman down and making her inferior. What it's saying is, you can't act without him. In relational independence is the sin of women. Women become independent. And they think they have every, all the wisdom they need to act without their husband. They can even look down on their husband as if their husband is not as spiritual or not as in tune, and so he's not a part of the decision. We are different, we're more objective in some ways. And so if she would have turned to Adam and said, honey, are you hearing what he's saying over here? Adam would have said whatever he said, but there would have been a higher chance of them not sinning. If they would have waited for God to walk up, they wouldn't have sinned. But she didn't. In Ephesians chapter five, if women do what God has told them to do in Ephesians five, their husband's needs are naturally met. I thank God. Not only did he created marriage, the special relationship, but I, I'm thankful that he created it perfectly. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.